0: Today on Around Kansas, Deb discusses a few historical books that should be on your reading list. We start off by taking a closer look at the Kansas Bobcat. On the front porch is Lori Bammerlin. Next, it's a poem by Ron Wilson. And we end with Michelle Martin and the story of Dr. Tan.
1: Closed captioning brought to you by Ag Promo Source. Together we grow. Learn more at AgPromosource.com. This segment brought to you by Kansas Corn. Learn more at kscorn.com.
2: Welcome to Around Kansas. I'm Deb Goodrich. I hope you're having a good year so far. Well, folks, we're living through historic times, aren't we? And I can tell you, as an historian, I'd much rather read about historic times than live through them. But keep the faith. We'll, we'll get through. We will Survive and hopefully level heads will prevail, and the world will right itself. Let's just hang on and be kind to one another through the ride. Well, this is a historic year for the Santa Fe Trail. As many of you know, I chair the 200th anniversary of the Santa Fe Trail or the Santa Fe Trail. The association itself is a few decades old as well. And you can visit our website at santafetrail.org. And we have a lot of questions about uh, book recommendations. Where where would you start? Well, i got a couple of great places for you to start right here. And one of them is the Santa Fe Trail Adventures by Dave Webb. And our friend Leo Oliva was uh, the historical consultant. This is an activity book. So it's got lots of stories and then uh, maps, really cool stuff, and then activities you can fill in. I don't care if you're 6 or 60, this is a fantastic resource and just a tremendous place to start. And you can find that for $10, $10, at thelastchancestore.org. The other one, which is a, a great place to start... Following the Santa Fe Trail. This is by Mark Simmons and Hal Jackson. So this is your guidebook. So if you are going to travel the trail, this is a great place, uh, a great resource for you to uh, figure out where you are and where to go if you want to follow the trail. So this is available at the lastchancestore.org for only $20. So these are great, uh, great resources. And when you visit the lastchancestore.org, you can also join the Santa Fe Trail Association, and we would encourage you to do so. The membership gets you, among other things, a subscription to Wagon Tracks. And this is uh, the quarterly publication. Ruth Friesen edits it and does a phenomenal job. So lots of history and happenings and... Uh, messages from important folks, like um, our friend Michael Martin Murphy, who is our honorary chairperson for the Santa Fe Trail, and we're so happy to have him on board. Of course, Western history doesn't have a bigger friend and a more um, uh, eloquent one than Michael Martin Murphy, so we're thrilled to have him on board. So many great people who've been involved in the trail story along the way, um, whether it be now or 200 years ago or any time in between. Just incredible stories waiting to be shared. Lots of events are planned, and of course, like everyone, we're working with different parameters right now. So uh, follow our schedule to see if events do happen as planned. If you want to plan an event or if you're along the trail and you would like to incorporate the Santa Fe Trail story into events that you already have planned, uh, get in touch and maybe we can we can help you with that and help you publicize it. We have a wonderful show for you today, so stay with us. Soon.
3: Howdy. I'm Seth Hayes, and welcome to my hometown from then to now. Council Grove has a rich history as deep as the prairie tall grass. Spend the day visiting 25 historic sites or explore the unique shops and restaurants or mosey out of town along the Santa Fe Trail. Y'all visit my hometown, Council Grove, in the heart of the Flint Hills.
1: ValleyVet.com is your one-stop shop for your every animal need. From prescription meds, vaccines, equipment, and more for the ranch to the show ring, shop ValleyVet.com for fast shipping and great prices. ValleyVet Supply. This segment brought to you by the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center in Oakley.
2: Some of the wildlife stories are just more fun than others. Um, some just happen to be my favorites, and this is one of them, the bobcat. And the bobcat um, doesn't get a lot of press, but it is such an interesting creature. And spotting one, they may not be as big and as impressive as mountain lions, but let me tell you, spotting one in the wild is still pretty, pretty special. So let's take a look at this very interesting kitty cat that's roaming the wilds all around us. Much more common and quite a bit smaller than mountain lions, bobcats can still strike fear in the heart of the hiker or rancher who happens upon them. Their growl, their bark, their scream, well, it can make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Bobcats get their name from their short or bobbed tail. They have long legs, toes with retractable claws, dark-spotted reddish-brown fur on top and gray fur with black spots on their belly. They don't dig their own dens, but take advantage of what nature offers in brush piles, hollow logs, caves, and in rock outcroppings. They hunt alone from dusk to dawn and rarely use the same daytime resting area. Studies in Kansas reveal that a male bobcat may hunt over an eight-mile territory, while females hunt over a much smaller ground. Bobcats mark their territories with urine, feces, or scratching on trees. In Kansas, these territories are usually scrublands or woodlands. They mostly eat rabbits and hares, mice, birds, and other small creatures, but can take down an injured or small deer. While the kitten is vulnerable, the adults have few predators other than man though may be killed in territorial disputes with larger animals. In the wild, the bobcat can live up to 14 years. An adult might weigh anywhere from 15 to 30 pounds. So, is the bobcat the same thing as a lynx? While bobcats and lynxes are separate species, they do belong to the same genus, which coincidentally happens to be the lynx genus. There are four different species belonging to this group, three of which share the family name, the Eurasian lynx, the Spanish or Iberian lynx, and the Canadian lynx. The fourth member, the most common cat native to North America, is the previously mentioned bobcat. The lynx genus, with its four species, has the largest range out of all the cats. The Eurasian lynx, the most numerous and widespread of the four species, can be found throughout Western Europe and Northern Asia, while the Spanish lynx, the rarest of the four, is found only in Spain and Portugal. The Canadian lynx lives primarily in Canada and a handful of northern U.S. states, including Maine, Minnesota, Montana, Wyoming, and Washington. So when Europeans came to North America, they encountered a cat a little different than the one they had known in the old country. The native peoples had many stories about the bobcat, and different tribes imbued the creature with different spiritual meaning. Bobcat is used as a clan animal In some Native American cultures, tribes with bobcat clans include the Creek and the Chickasaw. In the Pawnee tribe, bobcat is a more mythologically important character associated with the stars. Pawnee parents used to wrap their babies in bobcat furs to bring them celestial. Welcome to the Western Kansas Wildlife Travel Center right here in my hometown of Oakley, Kansas. We're the front door of Western Kansas, located on three main highways, I-70, US-83, and US-40. And all those roads lead to history, beautiful scenery, and adventure, no matter which direction you go. We now have an IHOP brand that you've trusted up and down the road in all your travels is staffed with local folks, real people, just like you and me, and we're waiting on you to join us. So for fun, adventure, fuel up, fuel your body, and let's have some fun.
1: This segment brought to you by Bob Schwartz Financial, Values, Commitment, Transparency.
4: Dwayne Thames, joining you once again on the program. My guest today, Lori Bamerlin from Keats, Kansas. She's president of the Kansas Women. Lori, tell us a little more about the Kansas Farmer Feed Science Program that many folks have seen along the highways here in Kansas.
5: The sign project started not right after we were founded in 1973, but in uh, around 1977. One of the Kansas Iron Founding members was Jean Mertz, and her and her husband were heading to San Angelo, Texas, to buy some lambs. And she'd seen along the way that all these different signs billboards talking about um, what people were trying to sell and she thought why are we in agriculture not talking about what we want to sell and advertising our commodities so when she came home she kind of hit the ground running and started putting up billboards that are kind of like your roadside signs around kansas working with the agro members that own some property along highways or major traveled roads and it started out that there were eat beef signs, eat lamb, grow wheat, kind of a variety of agriculture signs, along with that kind of iconic grocery sack sign that says one can farmer feed.
4: Obviously, it goes back uh, to that initial imprint uh, that uh, the Mertz family had from that trip and, and trying to promote. It's grown and changed a bit through the years as
5: well. Yeah, we had approximately 70 signs originally when it started with all those different commodities. And when if someone had land and they raised cattle, they'd say they wanted a beef sign on there. It kind of changed. Again, things come in cycles and the change of the time. So I think there was a time where we just kind of thought it would maintain itself, but it didn't really. And farms change hands and generations. And so in the last few years, we've got comments from people saying, oh, I've seen this sign about Kansas farmers seeding and eat beef and growing wheat and tell us more about that. And so we thought that was probably one of the best ways to promote that producer to consumer with understanding and telling people about agriculture. And so we chose that grocery sack sign. So we've been focusing on that since it encompasses all of the variety of agriculture produced in Kansas, anywhere from dairy to wheat, and there's meat in that grocery sack. And so we've just started replacing all of the signs that have needed some repair with that grocery sack sign.
4: I understand that Thomas Sign Company was a a big part of the, uh, the early efforts and maybe continues as well.
5: Yeah. The founder of Thomas Signs, he originally hand painted all of those signs. So some of those old signs that are holding up really well is that tape they used back in the day but it really held up um, in the Kansas weather and so he's hand painted them and you know technology changes in every aspect and now we have it's a plastic vinyl wrap that's heavy duty that should last for anywhere from five to seven years kind of depending on what direction it's facing and how much weather and sun it gets and so Thomas Signs is still helping us put those signs up along the way, and we also have been putting some up ourselves, it's kind of a wrap, and we're able to actually install some of them
4: ourselves. Our thanks to Lori Bammerlin, president of Kansas Agri Women, joining us on the program, and Dwayne Thames. Have a great day.
3: I'm Bob Swartz, and I've devoted the last 43 years to helping Kansans reach their retirement goals and to protect the family farm. At Bob Swartz Financial, we believe everyone should be able to live the retirement they've always dreamed of. Our team of professionals can help you create an efficient strategy using a variety of investment vehicles to help you address your financial needs and your concerns. Bob Swartz Financial, values, commitment, and transparency.
1: This segment brought to you by Santa Fe Trail Meets in Overbrook. Let us help feed your family. I thought I'd seen it
3: all. And then I got a call from a guy in town. He said, we want you to come help us do goat yoga. I said, goat what? Yes, goat yoga is a thing. So we rounded up some goats. We went into town and built a pen and watched it happen. This poem is called, You Go, Yoga Goat. I thought I had seen everything, but I was surely wrong because I found something new when goat yoga came along. We brought our goats to town and we put them in a pen where a bunch of people came and brought their mats on in. Folks laid down on their mats and the instructors helped them move through various positions, health and wellness, to improve. They would roll and move their body into various contortions, which seemed to help them stretch by increasing proportions. The goats would mill around them for however long it took while giving all the people a sniff or just a look. When folks got on their hands and knees to make a tabletop, the goats jumped on their back and they didn't want to stop. It was the first time seeing yoga. I am sure to note that I never, ever, ever had seen yoga with a goat. Happy trails.
5: Okay, looks like it's time for our tour. Welcome to the Fort Wallace Museum. Here at the museum, you're going to find some really interesting stuff, like our replica stagecoach from the Butterfield Overland Dispatch, we've got facades from the fort buildings, we've got an 1870s flag, there's a plesiosaur that was discovered locally, we've got the Ray Pump Organ Collection. We're a little bit place with a great big story and we'd love to have you.
1: This segment brought to you by Kansas Farm Bureau, the voice of agriculture. To join today or for more information, go to kfb.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter.
2: We're glad to have Michelle back with us this morning and once again exploring the connections between Kansas and our sister state to the south, Oklahoma. And she's got a very interesting story for you this morning. I know you're going to love this one. Good morning, Michelle.
0: Good morning, Deb. I want to continue our look at historical connections between Kansas and Oklahoma. Today, let's learn about a pioneering physician who treated patients in Southeast Kansas and the Indian Territory. When Charles Ingalls and his family shivered sick with ague in their small cabin, he thought medical help was 13 miles away in Independence. Little did he know that one of his nearest neighbors was a doctor. Immortalized in the pages of Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House on the Prairie, Doc Tan visits the family, dispenses medicine and saves them. Who was Doc Tan and what is his connection to the Indian Territory? George Tan was born in Pennsylvania in 1835, a free African-American. Little is known of his early life and just how he obtained his medical training. Some historians believe he learned to treat illness and injury during the Civil War, when he served as a soldier or possibly a contracted eclectic physician. After the close of the war, George moved west to Kansas with his parents, Bennett and Mary, in 1869. Bennett and George both filed for homesteads. Once the Tans settled, George not only farmed, but also began traveling the countryside, helping all who needed medical care. From administering quinine, delivering babies, and tending the dying, Doc Tan earned a reputation for compassion and honesty. For some of his patients he was the first african-american they had ever met when the state of kansas tightened its licensing requirements for doctors doc tan began to travel on horseback or by buggy to the growing community of bartlesville in the indian territory there he practiced medicine in the home of the beck family cherokee freed persons his hospital house cared for an array of individuals he treated any patient who needed his assistance, regardless of race, religion, or ability to pay. In the nearby community of Dewey, he maintained a small office and tended patients there as well. Doc Tan was one of the first physicians to practice in Bartlesville and Dewey. When Indian territorial officials clamped down on people practicing medicine without proper training or a license, Doc Tan's livelihood was in jeopardy. In a letter to the Cherokee Nation, he declared he would appear before a review board in 1902 and prove his qualifications. We don't know if Doc Tan ever made it before the review board. From 1902 until his death, Doc Tan worked his farmstead, along with hired farmhands. On March 31, 1909, after chasing a wayward team of horses, Doc Tan collapsed. He was discovered by one of his farmhands slumped over a fence, the victim of a heart attack or stroke. Residents of Southeast Kansas and Northeast Oklahoma mourned the passing of Doc Tan. Today, you can visit his final resting place in Independence, Kansas. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Dr. George Tan and that you'll join me next time for another historical adventure somewhere around Kansas. I'm Deb
2: Goodrich. Thank you for sharing part of your day with us. We sure appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, we'll see you somewhere around Kansas.
1: Closed Captioning brought to you by Ag Promo Source. Together we grow. Learn more at Agpromosource.com. In 1821, a trade route was opened from Missouri in the United States, across prairies and mountains to Mexico. In 2021, we will mark 200 years of epic conflicts and grand adventures, larger-than-life personalities, and sweeping landscapes. Join us on an historic journey. The Santa Fe Trail lives on.
2: Find us on social media or santafetrail.org.